Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and in this episode, you will be hearing from Tracy Shellhouse, the Vice President of Ministry Services here at Heartbeat, Daniel White, our General Counsel, Andrea Treden, Vice President of Communications and Marketing, and Jarell Godsey, the President of Heartbeat International. So before we get started with this conversation, I have a couple of quick things. And first of all, if you're not yet on the list to receive updates from Pregnancy Help News, I would encourage you to head over to PregnancyHelpNews.com for updates on what's happening in the world of pro-life pregnancy help. And if you subscribe, you'll receive those updates weekly directly into your inbox. And the second thing is for me to pass things off to Andrea Trudden for a quick message about this episode, because we actually recorded it a few months ago. And a few things have happened here around Heartbeat that we wanted to um, explain. And I think in light of this episode, it'll make a lot of sense and it'll be really helpful for the context. So Andrea, can you explain uh, to listeners what has happened since our, our initial recording of this? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christine. Yes, we um, knew that we needed to do a podcast about um, deceptive laws and deceptive advertising um, because of various things we were hearing around the nation. At the time, um, we recorded it, we were getting it all planned, and then the Attorney General of California decided to sue Heartbeat International, utilizing um, part of that deceptive um, advertising clause that we um, have had time to review the lawsuit Uh, connect with our friends at Thomas More Society, and um, honestly, continue to stay the course because um, what we are seeing now is more and more attorneys general uh, across the nation um, and then different arms of different government and politicians standing up and speaking out using this rhetoric, using this um, the terminology about deceptive advertising in regard to pregnancy health organizations and in our case, abortion pill reversal. And essentially saying that it is not true and that um, everything that we talk about at our pregnancy center, truth.com, that pregnancy centers have been dispelling the lies that you'll hear about later in this podcast for decades at this point from pro-abortion forces. We really wanted to be certain that we were um, acknowledging this new attack that while the words may be the same, it is very targeted across states. So what we are seeing um, just since we recorded this podcast initially is an aggressive effort by pro-abortion lobbyists, pro-abortion politicians across the nation um, utilizing deceptive advertising for headlines. Um, I do want to go ahead and encourage you from the beginning, as you will hear throughout this podcast as well, that you are doing nothing wrong with the advertisements that you are doing, promoting pregnancy help. Um, with abortion pill reversal. So we encourage you quite often and we will continue to stay the course. Um, We are moving ahead very positively. We are impacting lives. You are impacting lives within your communities. And so until something comes across that we are not able to um, defend in a proper way, which at this point we are very confident that we are, we encourage you to continue doing the jobs that you're doing. We are here for you. If you have any questions after listening to this podcast, um, you can absolutely reach out to any of us here at Heartbeat International. And we welcome the conversation because, again, we've been monitoring this from a national level. And at this point, we are very confident that everything that we have um, going on through our advertising online, through our websites, by following the commitment of care and competence that we are doing good work in this world for these women, for these families. And we just want to encourage you that while we are feeling a little bit more pressure than um, we might have been a a year or two ago, we are still doing 
great work through this mission. And so we want to convey that confidence to you and let you know that we are watching everything um, at this national level and we are pushing back. So thank you for the work that you are doing and enjoy the podcast. Alrighty. Thanks so much, Andrea. And we'll jump right into this episode. You'll be hearing first from Jarell Gotzi. Great to have uh, our own team here. And I fear there's many folks from Heartbeat that could be in on this conversation, but we've got some of the best. And I want to uh, kind of open with a, a story from ancient history, because I'm going to reference these things called the Yellow Pages, uh, which, you know, I have to tell my own kids, yes, this is a big book, actual Yellow Pages. And, you know, they would have no reference for this whatsoever. Uh, but back in the day, uh, there were opportunities for pregnancy centers to advertise in the abortion section of the yellow pages because it was available. And then the abortion industry raised a big ruckus because the abortion was not a service that uh, pregnancy centers provided. So they, they demanded of the yellow pages that they create their own section. And uh, guess what, what's kind of fun about what happened is they created something called uh, alternatives to abortion or abortion alternatives, which actually came before abortion in the yellow pages. So if you're if you're having to remember how to turn pages in a book, you know, the what comes before was got access more often. And so what ended up happening, curiously, was that the pregnancy centers were getting seen before the abortion clinics were actually being seen in this idea of the yellow pages. And so this this conversation about how and why and where uh, pregnancy centers are allowed to be supposedly allowed to be advertising and what they're allowed to advertise on is not a new conversation. Uh, it's been around for a while. In fact, Carolyn Maloney, uh, who is a representative out of the a congressional representative out of the state of New York um, for many, many years, uh, basically had a, a bill that she called stop deceptive advertising, which, uh, I think the, the first thing, first reference I can find to it was 2007. She brought it back in 2011, 2014. I mean, and, and, and it's been doing, she's been doing this for a long time and it was actually based off of a report that best I can find that, that came out of the, uh, national abortion federation from uh, 2006. So these things are are not new. Now, what's new is that these laws actually are taking taking hold. And really what I want to talk about uh, for the most part is the fact that these laws themselves are deceptive. That they're, they're painting a picture and telling a story as if this is a true thing. And it's something that's there. There's an abundance of supposedly deceptive advertising being done by pregnancy centers. And it's curious to me that this is the, this effort to kind of make this an issue has been around for what, 20 or more years. And yet uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to find an example. And, and uh, I want to go back to a, a, a story that really comes to us out of Baltimore, where uh, the greater Baltimore pregnancy center was, in a legislation for, I think it was for nine years, eight or nine years. And the ruling that they came out in 2018 had the Judge Wilkinson of the Fifth Circuit. So this has been appealed um, at the Fifth Circuit stating this, after seven years of litigation and a 1,295 page record before us, the city, meaning the city of Baltimore, does not identify, here's the money quote, a single example of a woman who entered the greater Baltimore center waiting room under the misimpression that she could obtain an abortion there. What the record does show is affirmative advocacy of abortion alternatives by a lawful nonprofit group. That is an amazing testimony by a judge who who sat that, sat on that case, really reviewed all of the litigation, was called on to make a decision, 
and uh and sorry i think that's the fourth circuit uh so she but he but that judge made that statement and it just shows like this is the weakness of this of this conversation and i think it it under underscores the fact that these this most recent spate of uh of laws against so-called deceptive advertising um or you know deceptive practices even are are, are really without uh foundation and so that's really one of the conversations i want to have but even the the way the law is constructed uh, i really want uh, danielle to weigh in on on just because a law is written doesn't necessarily mean it's a good law yeah that's right you know the the method for um making law in in our country is a little more complicated than than even the the legislation part of it um you know, they, they say that there are two things that you don't want to see being made, uh, sausage and legislation. And that's true, but I would say I would even uh, extend that legislation piece to just the law more broadly, because even after the legislative process, there's this whole secondary process of determining whether those laws that are enacted by the legislators can pass constitutional muster. And so uh, the case that Jarrell just referenced is a great example of how simply because a legislative body passes a law doesn't mean that that law is going to be able to stand. And what's interesting is we're seeing that the other side is very interested in passing these um, state laws or local ordinances, even despite the fact that they haven't been um, they haven't been upheld in court. And one of the reasons that politically motivated actors might be looking to pass laws that they know or reasonably believe won't pass constitutional muster is that there's an incentive to silence organizations that might be intimidated by those laws. And so they know that they can attempt to force disfavored speakers to self-censor to, um, you know, if, if we don't know where the line is on whether um, whether I can say this thing or not say this thing. Oh, I better not say it. I better not say that because I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. And so even if the law is eventually struck down, um, there's a win if they can um, persuade pregnancy centers or those that they disagree with to simply not speak at all. But doesn't Danielle that really challenge then really the 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 fact that that's a, a law that can even be enforced like isn't the fact that there isn't a, a clear understanding of what those terms mean part of the part of what makes it a problem law oh absolutely and there are a number of grounds for why a law could be struck down under first amendment jurisprudence um but one of those is is vagueness if the law is too vague um then it's too difficult for people to know where the line is and so then the court can say this this law is vague and that can be one of the the reasons to strike it down. Another reason can be due to um, content-based and viewpoint discrimination. And this is an area of First Amendment law that's been developing favorably, in my opinion, um, over the last couple of decades. Uh, it used to be that the court said um, viewpoint discrimination was especially problematic, but they weren't necessarily convinced that content-based discrimination was problematic. And so I'll back up and and um, maybe give an example of what that means. So a content-based regulation on speech would be, if you are speaking about abortion, then here are the regulations that apply. A viewpoint-based discrimination um, regulation 
might say, if you are speaking about abortion and you want to give a pro-life message, here are the regulations that apply. So that obviously is especially problematic if you have a law that applies only to one side of a contentious political issue like this. So it used to be that viewpoint discrimination was presumptively unconstitutional. Now the law has developed to where even a content-based regulation of speech is presumptively unconstitutional. So content-based meaning you have to know what the speech is in order to know whether it's um, constitutional or not. And so in Illinois, where there was recently a statute passed um, to try to curtail the speech of pregnancy centers, the judge there recognized that this was a content-based regulation of speech. And it's interesting to see the language that he used. It's He didn't mince any words. (laughs) He says um, that the law is stupid. It is stupid because its own supporter admitted it was unneeded and was unsupported by evidence when challenged. And then he later said, it's likely unconstitutional because it's a blatant example of government taking the side of whose speech is sanctionable and whose speech is immunized on the very same subject, no less. And so um, we have a a winning record in challenging these types of um, content-based laws on how pregnancy centers may speak. The First Amendment comes in to protect the speech of pregnancy centers particularly because these statutes are content-based and often viewpoint discriminatory. That's certainly helpful, Danielle, because so, so often we see these laws and our our first our first response is to look like, wait, what what am I doing? And you know, how does this feel? And you know, you immediately start to look at look at yourself as to say, well, what things are happening? What am I doing? Which in fact is is the intent of the law, really. It's to it's to put us on our heels in a sense to, to make us even question our own practices, which frankly uh, our, our movement is doing. And we're having other discussions about, well, what, what does this mean? What does it mean to us? But more specifically, what does it mean in the legal perspective? So I appreciate you kind of helping us understand that these laws are not automatic. They, they really are subject to review, which is what we have to get to uh, in some cases. And in some cases, that means we'll have a, 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 this was a preliminary injunction, right? That by the, by the Illinois judge, that meant it couldn't go into effect. They couldn't start enforcing it because there were some, I think this was the one that was had like $50,000 worth of fines or something that uh, could have been enacted. So he, he basically stepped in and said, no, 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 you can't do that. And here's why. And he had some, like you said, he didn't mince any words. He had some very strong statements. Uh, but internally, when we start to think about this from inside the center, Tracy, we're, we, we really, uh, you, you and I were talking last week about how um, how this kind of plays out in a practical way in the center and how it calls us really to have uh, equipped uh, staff members, team members uh, who uh, have who understand what one what what we're advertising, what our services are, and and how we communicate to our uh, prospective clients, as they call. Well, a great way to do that is to beforehand, before we ever answer the telephone, is to make sure that we're properly trained and that we understand what is being asked and how we as an organization are going to respond to those type of questions. So there's training that centers do all the time. There's training in Heartbeats Academy um, through, it's called the Abortion Minded Caller that centers can use to undergird and to make sure that they're ready and prepared. 
Um, but the, the bottom line is, is to remember that we are telling the caller or those that are reaching out to us what we do. And we can be forthright and honest. Uh, there, there isn't, uh, as we were accused of, or they're trying to accuse uh, pregnancy centers of being deceptive, we need to make sure that that fear doesn't drive how we answer the calls because we are telling the caller and we're telling the client who we are and what we do. And as long as we stick to that, we do not have to worry about stepping off the path and um, putting ourselves in a place that we can be accused of doing anything wrong. And this is where uh, we often in our conversations internally in the, in, within the movement have gotten wrapped around discussing and portraying what we don't do versus what we are called to do. And so th there, there certainly is wisdom. Uh, we want to have our disclaimers on our website. We want to make sure that we are, um, are, are properly contextualizing uh, the messaging and not pretending that ads alone conveys our mission, our values, uh, conveys all of our services. Cause frankly, you know, the advertising that's done today is, uh, is done in, in bits and pieces as far as, uh, uh, social media is concerned or ads that are, that are coming up in search. Those are not comprehensive ads. And so I want to bring in Andrea as well, who's, uh, works in it with our marketing and with our advertising as well as our communications. And so she, has uh, and her team have been involved in some of that advertising. So Andrea, when, when we're presenting in those kind of spaces, as far as our advertising and knowing what our, what our services are behind that, uh, what are some things that we need to be, make sure that we take a look at so we can be comfortable with our advertising and our messaging? That's a great question because there, first I want to delineate between the two in a way, because we have quite a presence within the pregnancy help movement, within each and every pregnancy center, the different audiences that we are speaking with. So we have our own media. That is our website, which is exactly where you were saying, Jarrell, we, we have our disclaimers and we have the information, Tracy, that you were saying, the services that we offer, this is what we do. So we have all of that. And that's what we should be putting out in our social media worlds as well. And then when you start to go into the paid advertising, paid media world, um, those are different roles. Because, of course, um, there are different social media companies that have different guidelines and community standards that we want to be mindful and aware of. Um, but then, of course, with that, you add in the payment element to those social media companies and then search engines. And there are a lot of things that you just need to be certain that you have a clear understanding of. I know many of the pregnancy help organizations within the nation use a marketing company. Um, we have a, a vast variety, um, a listing at our heartbeatservices.org um, life links list that gives you a lot of pro-life pro marketing companies that work specifically with pregnancy help because this is ever evolving. So we understand that your job in the pregnancy help organization is to be with your clients and to work with your community and to provide those services and not necessarily, not always, but not necessarily keep up to date on all the changes that Meta or Google or um, TikTok is implementing at the speed of light. Um, so tap into your marketing companies if you are using them. If not, contact us. Um, if you have somebody on your staff, a very skilled person who this is their heart and following um, what is working with your audiences and what uh, messages to put out. Um, 
connect with us and we can work with um, some ads for you or with you um, to answer those questions of, is this going against anything? I got this message that they're going to shut down my whole site um, if I do this and navigating how to provide effective ads in the variety of locations um, that communicate what you do well and how to reach through your potential client. We are in a space where we are um, targeting the same exact uh, demographic as the abortion clinics and as Planned Parenthood and other healthcare providers. And we should not jump and run from that. A lot of what um, Danielle was talking about with the laws and Jarell, you were talking about earlier um, with the people suing or politicians coming out and talking, a lot of it is a PR campaign to scare pregnancy centers from entering spaces. And that's something that we need to not give into. We need to not give into the fear. Um, these women need to know about pregnancy help. They need to see the services and they need to be reached in effective ways. So as long as you are promoting your services, what you do, um, staying uh, up to date on as much as you can, either by tapping into your marketing company, asking them the questions along the way um, as to how effective your ads are being. And you're going to be seeing those um, clients come through the door and making those phone calls, but asking those questions of your company so that you have that those answers of effectiveness. And then um, staying on top of what your staff knows, going back to what Tracy was talking about, being prepared. Um, when you answer those calls, making sure that your organization and all the staff within um, are up to date as to how to answer these key questions um, that typical clients ask, and then maybe some atypical clients um, for those hard questions as well. We have been following, as Jarrell mentioned, that the PR campaign against pregnancy help is nothing new. We've been following it since the 90s, if not before. Um, I was a teenager then, so probably not as much, but um, we've been navigating this. So we have put together a um, site um, called PregnancyCenterTruth.com that actually helps push back against some of this narrative that we've been seeing over the years. It's just been evolving in different ways. But when your supporters are asking questions or you don't know what to answer for your new volunteer who's asking, um, well, why, are, why is this person saying this about our pregnancy center? Is it okay? You can tap into PregnancyCenterTruth.com and get some of these answers because again, we've it's nothing new. We have witnessed it for years through this talks about lies against pregnancy centers in general and lies against abortion pill reversal, because um, that is one key thing that has been targeted and silenced in certain realms, specifically Google, Meta's under a pressure campaign as well, against allowing any um, advertising for abortion pill reversal. That may be a service that you offer. And that is a service that if you do offer, you should tout. You should list it in your owned media on your website, in your social media, you may not be able to advertise it, but it is something that um, you should be proud of. It is effective. We're seeing those women and it's a service that you provide. So as we navigate those, uh, you can answer those questions to your supporters and your staff. Uh, again, PregnancyCenterTruth.com as well as PregnancyHelpNews.com uh, for stories and legislative updates because we are intentionally staying on top of this as Heartbeat International. Um, because your work is in the center. 
Your work is with those women and families in your community. And our job is to navigate the chaos within the courts and uh, provide you with the information that may be useful and helpful for what you have um, at your centers, what you may need to implement, what you shouldn't worry about. And um, if new state laws come into play, we're trying to stay as on top of that as possible and get you that info as quickly as possible when it may impact either your center or your marketing efforts. So thanks, Andrea. The, the idea that you've leaned into was we advertise our services truthfully. Uh, that that's absolutely certain. I, you know, if we've uh, been really walking under this and working under this idea of a national standard of ethical practices, and that's called our commitment of care and competence. So one of the things I, I would recommend is Tracy mentioned earlier about making sure that your team is trained is we have uh, something in, in our academy called raising the standard, which many centers use uh, to onboard their, uh, their staff, their volunteers, and uh, that idea of raising the standard, what does it mean? How does it work? How do we walk through it and abide by that is an important f function really for the movement. And we've, we've had that around for uh, now for actually many, many years. And the, the core th phrase there, the core tenet that is referred to uh, regarding this discussion is that all of our advertising communication are truthful and honest and accurately describe the services we offer, which is what exactly what we want to do. Now, you know, we, we we understand that the other side keeps pushing out this narrative that we're not doing that. And yet they still uh, have failed to find uh, any meaningful examples or legitimate examples as these uh, judges have themselves uh, reviewed. And and there's this also this idea that we should always have disclaimers about what we uh, what we don't do. So, Danielle, I want to just uh, have you re remind us uh, really what's good about our disclaimers, why those are important, um, even though it's not something that uh, is required of any other industry. It's, it certainly is something that has become a focus on uh, for us to to be mindful of. Yeah. So as as you mentioned, there isn't really a legal requirement that we would have a disclaimer on our website. And in fact, I would note that for the organizations that are most upset about the work that we're doing, putting a disclaimer on the website, even that isn't enough. Um, so, uh, but having a disclaimer on the website that lets the visitor know that, um, that the services that are available to her at the center and then the services that are not available uh, can be very, very helpful. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was just reviewing some case law from, from the eighties today um, in preparation for this podcast. And, um, even in a case in the 80s where the judge was evaluating whether the center was engaged in deceptive trade practices, the judge explicitly stated that it was not necessary and that it was overly burdensome for a center to have to immediately disclaim abortion every time they say the word abortion. So, so wait, that was um, from know, the 80s, that, right? That was that was that was from the 80s. That's before Google. For Indeed, internet. It, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's when we still did advertising on stone tablets and and such, right? That's like Flintstones era. That's ancient history. Um, but the the notion or the <laughs> the concept stands that you know the abortion industry does not have a monopoly on the term abortion. A woman who's seeking abortion is looking for a solution to a, what she perceives to be a problem, and um, and we have a solution to offer her. We can we can add disclaimers to the website that can be tastefully done and um, and still awaken hope in her that maybe what 
this this answer that she's just frantically looking for, maybe there's an alternative that is available to her that won't be so painful for her. And isn't that really the case uh, when we talk, and particularly Tracy, when we talk about her mindset when she's reaching out, the the this is the kind of the underlying messaging of the abortion industry and the abortion politicians or those that are uh, frankly are bought and paid for by uh, by big abortion. Um, they're the ones that are trying to maintain this reality. Like sh- she deserves an abortion. She wants an abortion. Nothing should prevent her from getting an abortion. When the truth of the kind of woman that we are encountering has literally nothing to do with that kind of lofty picture that's presented as if she's showing up demanding her rights. It's like, that is totally not the case. She's in a desperate place. And uh, Tracy, you, you've you've seen that over and over again in the center. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and even for the woman that says, but that's what I'm here for today, I think it's important to understand that there are things happening in her life in the vacuum that she's in that um, are not controllable by outside forces. We do not know who all she's talked to on the phone. She may have called abortion clinics. She may have called her local um, health department. She may have called and been asking a lot of questions. And my pregnancy center ends up being the one that she comes walking through the door. And there's a lot of information out there that's, that's become confusing because there's so much. Um, I know one of the issues that um, I found about in the, the last community that I served in is people in that community, because they were uninformed and didn't go and uh, find out more about the pregnancy center I was with, there were people that thought it was an abortion clinic, not because of our messaging, because of their assumptions. And so, you know, if I had a young lady come to the door and go, but I thought you did abortions, a lot of times I would ask why. And when I would ask why, they would go, well, because my aunt said that I could come here. Well, that's not on my messaging. That has nothing to do with anything I'm putting out there. There is an outs- an, someone that's from the outside the organization that is speaking in, into um, her life. But Jarrell, you're right. The majority coming through the door, um, coming into the pregnancy center, are not coming in there demanding an abortion. That isn't even their expectation. They're coming through looking for resources, help, and support. And that is something that pregnancy help centers do a phenomenal job of providing their communities. Yeah. And one of the things that when she's walking into the door, she certainly may think she needs an abortion, but we know that she hasn't probably explored any of the other options. She hasn't looked at any of the other potential pathways. We've we've learned, you know, ages ago that uh, the idea of a crisis tends to narrow her perspective to only see things in a certain way. So somehow expecting like all of our practices are going to have to disclaim abortion at every term reminds me of that of what that judge said, you know, back in the you know ancient days, as Danielle would put it, uh, in the eighties, where where that that that, that that even that's not to be expected that's too much uh and that was back in the day when you know advertising wasn't even 140 characters in a in a text or was a, a little more could be a little more involved as far as um uh print and publishing but i i 
it's important to be mindful that we are after good practices that serve her and help her make an informed decision. And I would contend that, uh, uh, and I wrote an article about this, that, that essentially the the other side is the one that's being so much more deceptive. Uh, they, they are laying claim to the abortion term. They are they are uh, suggesting and and basically providing only abortion uh, in their services. They don't, you know, even the vaunted Planned Parenthood doesn't actually provide anything for, you know, planned parenting. So it's like that, that that's a, if anyone's being deceptive in their practices and in how they're named, it feels to me like that's the brand that's doing it more than pregnancy centers are. Pregnancy centers are truly here to help women walk through that abortion decision. And we know that what that's what, what happens is not all of them make the choice uh, to not have an abortion, you know, whereas the other side is more than, I think it's the last I saw was like 93% of pregnant women that walk through the doors of a Planned Parenthood will walk out without their child. So it's, if anything, this feels like a massive case of projection, which is, uh, I find very common um, upon the pregnancy centers when it's exactly what big abortion has been doing. And I appreciate Danielle, you said something earlier that they're not entitled to the term abortion uh as if as if it's theirs because they they are providing it uh speak to that a little more yeah you know we know from talking to women who have experienced abortion that a lot of times women feel like abortion is my only option it was my only choice of course she's going to google abortion if she thinks that's her only option why wouldn't a pregnancy center be able to um to to recognize that what she's looking for in that term, um, she she may not actually be seeking. She's looking for a solution to a problem. The name to that solution for her is abortion because she thinks it's her only option. And so if we can speak her language, then we can present other options to her. And the abortion industry doesn't get to to preclude um, pro-life people from even uttering the word abortion. That's an excellent point. And it's something that I, that I encountered years ago. And it's like someone said to me, it's like, imagine a library uh, where the only thing allowed in the library was uh, about slavery was written by those that were involved in the slave trade. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, we, like even today, you know, 150 years later, we think that's crazy. Like, who would allow that? But that's exactly kind of the posturing and positioning. Some of these laws and the, the legislators behind it are suggesting is that, no, the only people that get to own that term, whether it's in marketing or, or in the political process, are those that are providing that so-called product. Um, and so I appreciate that kind of calling out that as a distinction. And I love how you put that, like, she sees that as the as the answer, but she doesn't know any other answers. And so we're really trying to to reach into that decision. It, I, I equate that to some things that are probably more familiar to us today. Can you imagine someone trying to run a, a gambling anonymous, gamblers anonymous, or alcoholic anonymous, or um, a smoking cessation without using the product names that are involved in any of those. Like they couldn't do it. And and, and that's, I think that's intentional of the uh, pro-abortion side to kind of push the, push us away from the term, uh, box us out from being able to use the term uh, when it's exactly that term that brings her to that moment of saying, I, I need something, I need some help in my life uh, to make a, a decision going forward. And so that's why we not only shouldn't 
shy away from it. We should be actively engaging the the, the term in a truthful way. You know, we're not going to we're not going to tell her we're providing abortion because we don't. And we're and that's not something that we're, we're going to do. Uh, but it's something that we need to make sure that we're engaging in our marketing so that we can be effective in reaching her. And I wanted to add to that because um, you were mentioning how to get utilizing words and words, if you have not been following it, has been quite a very intricate piece of this censorship element um, online. So um, we've known from just working in this for so long with different social media companies and um digital advertising that as we enter election seasons as well, the social media companies specifically really hone in on that word abortion as a social issue for both sides of this issue. So it, as much as we feel it because we're living it, it is a reality that I will say the more, the further extremes of the abortion industry they are feeling it too because they're not allowed to um, advertise certain words. If you look at the advertisements that they do, anything that has captions, all of a sudden that word abortion is blacked out, even though they'll say it in the in the verbiage and such. But um, it, it is a trigger word that AI has is taught and and looking for. So it is something to be mindful of. So that that um, cuts both that cuts both ways is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And it is something that is like, we're living it. So we feel it a lot, but know that the other side is feeling it too on certain elements. That's why, um, abortion pill reversal, we can't advertise it, but they can't advertise abortion pills. Now, again, it's words. So they will find other ways to advertise it and get that word out there. They, some of these organizations, um, who are very, adamantly abortion activists um, will use incredibly deceptive means. So there is a reason to have these laws that we already have on the books about deceptive advertising, to your point, Jarrell. They already exist and should be sought out. But as we move forward, continuously um, sharing our services and what we do um, in truthful, honest ways, according to our commitment of care and competence, just know that Meta and um, TikTok and anywhere that you may be advertising, they're going to have stricter rules in the 2024 year for us because of the elections where we get all sorts of lovely disclaimers. It's nothing against us. I mean, it is, but it's nothing (laughs) against us specifically as pregnancy health organizations. It's the abortion social issue that they start to really hone in on. So just stay true to the services that you're offering and um, make sure that you're utilizing your own media uh, to get your services and that community involvement out. Um, But just a note that that's coming within the next year. So thanks for that kind of clarity on that. So that that just calls us back to make sure that we we do what we know has been effective, what effectively connects us with the woman who's in that place of making a decision about her uh, uh, unintended pregnancy re- involving that child within her. Uh, those are the women that we want to serve. So we shouldn't step back from that, knowing that that this is a bigger issue. This is a political issue. And in fact, it's going to be a huge issue in this upcoming election, as it has been uh, in recent ones and, and some in the past. But it's going to be one of those things where 
we still have to be, as you said, Andrea, true to what we're doing. We need to hold to the fact, uh, as Danielle reminded us about uh, the fact that that the other side doesn't get to own this themselves, that uh, we we have a right to speak into this. And as Tracy reminded us, that it's important uh, to really meet her where she's at, uh, understand that this may be something that she uh, is looking for, but isn't convinced of. And that's exactly who we want to be, where the other side uh, the abortion industry wants to capture her and then sell her an abortion. Uh, they they want to make that. I think that that's clear in the in the uh, stat I gave earlier. When uh, there are those that are presenting in um, in abortion clinics or on abortion websites now, and of course the other side's doing a ton of things to uh, eliminate any really any other expectation that she would have other than abortion. Almost as if almost as if it's her responsibility to get an abortion, uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, 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 itself is undercutting the, the the joy of creation, the power of a creator, and the, the beauty um, that God has placed within all women as far as for uh, womanhood and for the gift of, of childbearing, which, of course, I'm on a, I'm on a call with all moms, so that's an easy message. So I'm within a f- friendly and familiar crowd. Um, but it's one of those things where we have to realize like this is the gr- for the greater good of our, not just uh, that individual that she get an option besides abortion, uh, but it's a greater good for our community, for our culture, for our country, and certainly for our world. So wherever this is happening and however we're dealing with this, we need to remain truthful to what we do and and how we serve. And we need to be mindful uh, that this is a big issue and uh, we can, we can weigh into this and do so effectively uh, with confidence. Any last thoughts from our, our team? Don't stop because I know there's a lot out there and there's, um, again, it's this major campaign of repeating the lies over and over, but what work is being done through pregnancy help is literally life-saving. So don't give in to the fear. Well, and I actually, that's something I think Danielle touched into it, uh, was that that is the one thing that will make the other side get, you know, leave us alone is if we stop, if we give up, if we quit short of that, they don't want us to exist. Like I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, it's hard to understand uh, how we really take direction from them. I mean, they, they believe some of the weirdest things. They don't believe it's a human. They don't believe that, that, uh, that it's, it's, it's worth pro- the baby's worth protecting. They certainly don't trust women to make a better decision. They don't believe in, in uh, the fact that women can, can overcome amazing things. They're not even sure what a woman is at times, you know, in some of the conversations we get with uh, some of the politicians and even, you know, one of the justices that's now on Supreme Court. So like, why are they to be trusted with what is true and evident practices? And we are not. We're the ones that have been faithfully serving women, helping them uh, make a choice for life. And and as they're in the valley of decision, and it's it's evidenced by the fact that when we are, have served a woman. We see it in the exit interviews. You know, we constantly see that uh, that we've we've championed them, and they recognize it. They they come back with 95, 96, 97, 98 percent satisfaction rates of saying yes, I was served well, and uh, I would recommend my these services to others. And that's the part that the deceptive ads. Uh, are are being deceptive about. They're trying to pretend that there's some massive group of people that have been deceived into making decisions they didn't truly want. And if that exists, it is not on the pregnancy center side. It's on the side of those uh, that have um, uh, basically profiteered abortions upon women. And uh, so that that if anyone's being deceptive, it's certainly not us. And I, I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity to work 
with such great esteemed colleagues and appreciate uh, your, your um, contribution to this, Danielle and Andrea and Tracy. And I'll turn it back to you, Christine. Thank you. It's always great to have each of you on the podcast, but I think it's the most fun when we get all of you together. So this has been really great, really uh, informative and helpful. And I think each of you had some sort of link to share of a heartbeat resource or something that we can um, share with listeners. So check out the show notes. I'll have some highlights from the episode from this discussion, and I will uh, link to the things that were mentioned that will be helpful for listeners. So uh, with that, be sure to subscribe so that we can keep new information coming your way. And uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.